Welcome to the Human Flourishing Project. I'm your host, Alex Epstein. Okay, it's the show for Friday, February 8th. I missed an episode last week. That's either the second or the third episode I've missed since we started last August, so that's pretty good. I'll try to never miss more than a week, and in general, I don't like missing weeks. I really appreciated those of you who complained. That's a really good vote of confidence. And I was in Denver this week, actually in Denver and Calgary this week, speaking on energy issues. And in both places, several people told me how much they liked the Human Flourishing Project. And then also some other people asked me about things related to that and related to just my own systems and whatnot. And I told them about the Human Flourishing Project and it seemed like they were excited about that. So hopefully we have some new listeners based on that. If you're new to the show, this is a show about human flourishing, which means human beings living to their full potential. And the focus of this show is how do we get real knowledge about how to flourish? That turns out to be incredibly difficult, despite all of the claims to knowledge that are out there. It's really hard to know what's true. So one of the big focuses of this show is what kinds of processes or systems can we use inside our own heads to separate truth from falsehood to ultimately get to the truth. Now, today I'm going to discuss something very, very relevant to that, which I call the search for superior systems. But before I go into that, I thought I might share a little experiment that I'm running. And this is in the category of something that I haven't proven in that I've just started to do it consistently, but it's showing very, very promising results, and there's a lot of logic to it. So the thing I've I started to do more recently in a word is read, which that's not any kind of revolutionary behavior, but the way in which I've gotten myself to read a lot more is just to have an instruction to myself that my default use of my phone is the Kindle app. And I was I, I was looking, I, I often like using the actual Kindle because it has a very nice screen. It's very pleasant to look at. But the nice thing about the Kindle app, which I was just noticing when I was using it, when I didn't have my regular Kindle around, is just that you can read things so quickly on that. Particularly now, most books have a scrolling feature on Kindle, so you can just scroll through them like you scroll through a web article. And also the highlighting is super fast on the iPhone. And I type pretty quickly on an iPhone, much more quickly than I can on a Kindle. And what I found was just, wow, I can I can really get through things quickly uh, and and I can mine things for good content and I can highlight them very quickly. And what I found was once I started defaulting toward this, uh, I would just notice that in, in different kinds of moments, if I'm waiting in line, I try to avoid that. But you know, if I'm waiting for something, there's some sort of transition that if I'm going to go to any kind of stimulus, it's I really, really liked going to the Kindle. And then that started getting me more into the books in general, and then that made me use them more in my free time. And since I've been doing this, I've been getting through about three books a week. Now, one one question I've been thinking about is what, what kinds of books do I want to read? And often there, there's a certain idea among a lot of successful business people that you want to read a wide range of things because you're going to get all sorts of insights from other fields that you just can't even forecast. And in my experience, that's true. But I also find that 
reading about energy, which in some ways is my main field, uh, I am also just finding huge benefits from reading what other people are saying about energy. And that's not always something I'm in my normal work. There's not always occasion to do that unless I'm I'm doing new research on something. But for instance, I've been reading different kinds of books on climate and energy systems, including solar and wind energy systems. And it's just, I'm finding myself being way more creative in my writing time. I'm finding my thinking improving. And in particular, I'm finding a lot of benefits from making sure when I'm reading in my own field to read people that I expect to disagree with and to, to try to read them as you know, as in a, as friendly a way as possible or giving them the benefit of the doubt. So, for example, I'm reading this guy, Michael Mann, who's a leading activist climate scientist whom I have had negative experiences with myself in that he said something dishonest about me on Twitter and then I asked him to substantiate it and then he blocked me. And there, there's a bunch of other things I dislike about him, but he's quite a good writer and I think he does a good job at summarizing the climate catastrophe view, including he has a lot of points about framework-type issues in his view of framework and why he believes you should defer to scientists in certain situations and his account of how the scientific method works and what is real skepticism versus denialism. He's an interesting thinker who's a good synthesizer of certain views, and I've, I found it very, very instructive to read him uh, for for a whole bunch of um, of reasons, and then there are kind of people in the middle who I expect to kind of agree with and kind of disagree with, but they're interesting thinkers. So the that that's just something about how I like to read, which is just making sure to encounter, uh, trying to find the most thoughtful people from different viewpoints, and then having them side by side. I find that that really accelerates my learning and my own thinking. But the biggest the the con, the biggest condition there is just defaulting toward reading for for my makeup in particular it works really well because i think a couple of reasons one is that i have quite a strong independent thinking capacity developed in that i've just when i was younger i guess i'll tell you the story of this when i was younger i um when i was 18 I started reading what's called objectivist philosophy, which is the um, originated by Ayn Rand, whom I've mentioned at least once or twice on this show. And I was really taken by it. It made much more sense to me than anything else I had read. And I found it very, very compelling. And at a certain point, I, I read a ton of it. And then at a certain point, I decided not to read any of it for a while. And I just wanted to think about the issues on my own. So I would be exposed to other views, but mainly I would just think about the reality of things and just think about them for myself. And then having this idea of, okay, this person thought this and it made a lot of sense to me. But if I were thinking about this from scratch, what would I think? And what are the similarities and what are the differences? And then all the things I agreed with, like they they felt like my own Knowledge, so that that was one instance in which I, I felt like I I developed this ability to just construct knowledge, even if somebody else came up with an idea, to to just learn how to have all I my ideas as if I was the one who discovered them, to have them in an independent way, and I really like thinking about just just thinking about reality, looking at reality, looking at data, not not looking at what other people are saying, but just trying to figure things out. 
and that is a that's a good skill that's a very valuable skill but there are so many if i can combine that skill with then reading the observations and insights of of thoughtful people with different views including ones i end up disagreeing with then there's so much there i can mine and so much there that that can help my own thinking but in in my case my default is actually not to read a whole bunch about something. It's it's usually to think about it or to look for some sort of primary source and analyze it. So in my particular constitution, I'm finding that to be something I don't default to, but but benefit from. Whereas some people I know um, benefit from, like they benefit from taking more time to think about uh, things on their own and. This is. I, I hope I'm authorized in telling this story. It was a story about my grandfather, um, on my father's side, who was a very, uh, you know, well-respected physicist, and he and my dad is a uh, like he's trained in political philosophy and got his PhD from Harvard, I think, political philosophy or political theory or something. And he told a story at my grandfather's funeral about how when he was studying these things, my dad was like a much, much better student than I was and did did very, very well in school. His father said something to him to the effect of, like, it's really great that you're mastering all of these thinkers. Just make sure to take time sometimes to just sit and, and think about what you think. And I think that, that my own disposition is like to take a lot of time to sit and think about what I think, and then I can benefit from from then having that ability and then reading, doing even more to read about what other people think. Uh, and part of the reason I'm going into this is just because I'm very big advocate of thinking about processes that will, that recognize one's own particular nature and things like reading habits are going to be very specific. So I, I don't want to act like this is what I'm doing as a universal thing. For some of you, it might be, you might be reading too much and then and then this is going to make things worse. The other thing for me is that I I tend to listen to a lot of things particularly because I like interviews a lot and there there's certain benefits to those. But when I'm reading, I just think wow, the the density and precision and depth that's involved when people are writing books is just unmatched. It's just unmatched when they're being interviewed. Sometimes you can only get interviews, and in that case, you got to go with it. But when somebody is really taking the time to write a book, it's just it's just gold. I mean, you're just dealing with this with this gold mine, and I just like that density. But then also, I find that I I find reading often very energizing. And sometimes listening, I don't find as energizing. Certainly, I find this with writing and talking. Like, I find writing quite energizing, and often I find talking de-energizing. There are some some exceptions to that, but these are just things that will vary from person to person. But are, are it's very vital, it's very important to be a scientist about oneself and to, to know one's own regularities, because there are going to be a lot of specifics that if we use somebody else's a system uncritically, it can backfire. Which brings me to today's topic, which is the search for superior systems. So I've mentioned that one of the goals of this show, really the goal of this show, is to find the knowledge that I need to flourish and that other people need to flourish, and that it's it's hard to do that. It's hard to do that for many reasons. So it's hard to know, you know, what are the principles of psychology? What are the right principles 
of business? What are the right principles of nutrition? But then there's there's a problem even on top of that. Like even if you know the principles of something on a certain abstract level, how do you apply those principles in your life? Like if if I read something really good on let's say Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is a, an obsession of mine that I'm sure is not shared by uh, almost everyone in the audience, like I could get really good principles of that, but will I know how to do it in practice? So there's there's a, a challenge of getting real knowledge and then applying real knowledge. And often part of how we have a sense that something is real knowledge is that we figure out a way to apply it and we see that it works for us. And what I've found over the years is that as I'm looking for real knowledge and as I'm looking to apply it, there are certain people whom I find incredibly valuable. And I think of them as superior system builders, or we could call them superior applied system builders. And these are people, they have a couple of attributes in common. So one of them is they have an unusually clear and integrated understanding of their field. They have an unusually clear and integrated understanding of their field. So, well, actually, I'll I'll elaborate in a minute, but I'll, I'll give you all three. So the second one is they have a transferable system that embodies their understanding. That's really crucial. So it's it's not just that they understand things, but they have a system that can be transferred to us. And then the third thing is that system has been demonstrated to work for a lot of people when applied with all the complexity of reality. So it's it's a the system is transferable and it actually it's proven to work in practice with uh, a lot of people. Now, if you can find somebody like this, this is really a golden kind of thing to find. And one of the purposes I have today in introducing this idea of the superior system builder is to get listeners to this show to tell me people that you think are really good. Uh, But I'll, I'll share with you some people that I think are good, at least that approximate this, and that I find a lot of value from. So one person... Who, whom I regard as a superior system builder, is a guy named Cal Newport, whom I may have mentioned once or twice, but probably not enough, because in terms of thinkers about human flourishing today, he's at the top of the list. He's, he's known for several works, probably most prominently the book Deep Work, which I may have mentioned, which talks about deep work, why it's valuable, how to do it. And he has a new book called Digital Minimalism, which is about how to use technology in a way that actually helps you as an individual. He doesn't talk about flourishing, uh, but that, that is what it amounts to. It's like, how do you actually, and, and it's explicit. It says he's trying to help you develop a philosophy of technology that allows you to benefit from the potential benefits of technology, but avoid the many downsides that people have in using technology, particularly, I should say, digital technology. And, I noticed these virtues with Newport. So one thing is just reading him. He's just a very clear writer and thinker, and he really has he'll he'll give you an understanding of different things that that all fits together. So I'm I'm trying to think of a what's a particular thing with digital. So I've just started digital minimalism. Maybe I'm a quarter of the way through it. So 
I guess this is going to test how well uh, I remember it. But he's he's good at, for example, well, here's the thing that he mentioned that he's taking from, I believe, Thoreau. So he's talking about Thoreau's book, Walden, which I haven't read, but which now I want to read. And he talks about the the value of measuring things, not just in terms of money, but in terms of time and thinking about how much time things cost you in terms of, and I would think of it as as free time in terms of time that you have choice over. And the point that most people are not really, are not valuing their free time or their potential free time, and thus they're measuring things in life in a very inaccurate way. And that's the kind of thing, so this isn't Newport's original concept. And to be a, a superior system builder, you don't have to have a whole bunch of original concepts necessarily, but you have to have a clear understanding of a domain and then an ability to explain that clearly. But then the, the thing that Newport also does in both of his books, I guess I've read several of his books, but in, in the two that I'm mentioning in particular, he's very focused on giving you a system that you can use. For example, in Digital Minimalism, he focuses on digital declutter, like how to do that. And it's spend a specific number of days doing this, and here's what to do, and here's what not to do, and here are examples of it. And one one attribute of having a good transferable system is that it has it has to have um, it has to be on the right level of abstraction. So you don't want it to be too abstract, so you don't know how to use it. But you also don't want it to be too specific, so that it it, it doesn't really account for the specific nature of you. And I, I find that Newport is good at at either giving you a system that everyone can use or sometimes he'll give multiple systems. Like in deep work, he'll give multiple types of systems that work for people of different kinds. So he'll have some people that are writing all the time and then some people who are able to fit deep work into small slots. But he's very conscientious in his writing to give you to give you specific guidelines, but on the right level of specificity. And then in terms of working for people, certainly, I mean, for deep work, I've, I was already in this direction, but he's just, he had thought about a lot of it more than I had. And certainly what I've used of his has worked well for me. I know it's worked well for a lot of people and his digital minimalism experiments worked well for the people who did them. And there's also just a logic to them why they work. So it, it, it goes back to, he's got this clear integrated understanding and then which is really based on technology is supposed to serve your life and to serve a really fulfilling, enjoyable life, and you want you want to use it that way, but then he gives you very, very specific guidelines. So other people in this category to various degrees. There is a guy in the world of, I won't go too much into this, but he actually made me think of this, this show idea, so I should mention him which is John Danaher. So he he's an, a really interesting guy. He's a philosopher who, when finishing, he, he was near his PhD at Columbia University. He's, I think he was born in the United States, but he's primarily from New Zealand and has, you know, one of those very, uh, he's an intelligent guy and has one of those very charming New Zealand uh, accents. And he, he he's, in, in the world of jiu-jitsu, he's been very explicitly focused on giving people superior systems and i i've now ordered all of his resources and i and i had a chance to meet him about gosh it must be nine and a half years ago now um and he was a very clear thinker even then but but now publicly he's talked explicitly about how 
you need really good systems in if you're trying to you know I, I, it's hard to describe to a general audience, but basically if, if you're trying to use this particular martial art in an effective way, there are certain ways that you can understand what you're doing. And I'd say he has a very clear integrated understanding, so he can give you very impressive principles and he's very precise. So for example, th this may be too specific for people, but like he will, when he's describing how to put some, make somebody unconscious, he'll describe it as a strangle, not a choke, because choke is not exact. Or he'll talk about a certain kind of strangle, uh, which is called the guillotine strangle, and he'll talk about, he'll be very precise, like this is, this is how it works, this is the cause and effect. You have a certain number of arteries uh, around your neck, and the particular two in the front are the carotid ones, and you want to use the guillotine choke in a way that gives you what he calls double closure of those arteries. So I, I apologize if this is not of interest to most of you, but I hope you get the idea that he's he's being very precise with his concepts, and he's giving a very causal perspective. These are two attributes of people who have a clear and integrated understanding of their field. And then... But he not only has that, which you might expect from a philosopher who'd be really interested in just understanding fundamental principles, he's really obsessed with how do I how do I make this into a transferable system? And in his his videos, he's just very focused on how do I how do I communicate the truth to you about all of these positions and and moves and situations in a fight situation, particularly a jujitsu a jujitsu fight situation in a way that you will actually be able to use them, that you will know what to do at the right time. And and again, like Newport, he he's on the right level of abstraction. It's not too abstract that you don't really know how to use it, but it's not too concrete where it's it's overly specific. And he talks a lot about, I'm trying to teach you how to become an independent problem solver, but he needs to both give you general guidelines on that, but a lot of specific instances of that. And then in terms of the third thing, his system works for a lot of people. So he only publicized these systems once he had a track record of students learning his systems and applying them in, in very short amounts of time, them becoming leading, uh, leading jujitsu competitors. So he was, he was getting results that were differentiated from um, almost everyone. And that that gives a lot of, of credibility to it. So it's this, this combination of this clear, integrated understanding of a field developing a transferable system that embodies that understanding, and then that system works in practice when applied with all the complications of real life. And one thing he said in one of his videos that I thought was really good, that two attributes of the way he thinks about systems are that, I, I hope I'm getting this right, one is that the, there's a, a comprehensive element, so they deal with the range of situations that you're going to face. And the other thing is that, at least in his case, there's a sequential element. So you have some idea of what to do in what sequence. And and those seem like pretty, pretty universal positive attributes of superior applied systems. Some other people, I'll just go in, in less detail there. There's a guy in the business world, particularly the consulting world, whom some, some people have seen his ads and may not like them, but there's a, a guy named Sam Ovens whom I've mentioned, and he has a course called Consulting Accelerator, and I, I bought this course 
after watching a lot of his YouTube videos and being very impressed by the kinds of things I'm mentioning with other people, he, he has a very clear understanding of business and he really boils it down to a couple of concepts. And he's just he always boils it down to, OK, there's a group of people and they have a problem and you're solving their problem. But he he, he really integrates everything around problem solving. So he'll integrate marketing around problem solving and sales around problem solving. It won't just be, oh, there are these 50 discrete things and then there are all these details. He's got this integrated view of them. But then really crucially, he has a transferable system. So he's got a system that from scratch will help somebody start a successful consulting business, even if they don't know about the thing. And I thought this was this was very far-fetched, but to go to his point of works for a lot of people, it does work for a lot of people. And when I took it, even though I was working with something where I had a lot of expertise, I could totally see how you could have somebody do this from scratch. And if they really followed what he said step by step, there was a high percentage chance that they would succeed. And in fact, I've had a, a fantasy about, maybe someone wants to take me up on this, I'll, I'll consider it, but I've had a, a fantasy about maybe I would invest in a couple of young entrepreneurs. So if they, if they agreed to follow this step by step for X amount of months, I would give them some amount of money in exchange for some uh, percentage of the revenue that they got over you know a certain number of, of years because it's just a really, really impressive system. And, and most of what you get in business is nothing resembling a, a, a superior system that you can use. It's, it's often useful stuff like certain tips or tricks, but there isn't this element of it's comprehensive, it's step-by-step, and applies to a whole bunch of situations. So I've been very impressed by him. Another person and I can't totally vouch for this, but whom people attribute this to is Marie Kondo. So you, many of you have probably heard of her. She wrote the book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, and she has a Netflix show. I think it's called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. That's very, uh, that seems stupendously popular on Netflix. And she also seems to have these attributes. She's got, she's got a certain clear understanding of her field. She's She's very focused on the reason you should have these different possessions is that they, quote, spark joy. And that is that is a really interesting way of thinking about possessions and, and one that resonates quite a lot with me. And there's a whole bunch of other things that she has to say that really seems like she she's thinking about this in a in a clear way. Even if I don't end up agreeing with it totally, there's something very valuable about her perspective. And then she has a transferable system. She's focused on taking those principles and telling you, okay, you do this first. You know, you first deal with these items and then you deal with these items. And with each type of item, here's what you do and here's what you don't do. And it's it's not too abstract and it's not too concrete. And people, and to the third point, the system seems to work for a lot of people. So my view is if you can find these superior system builders or superior applied system builders, it's just such a benefit. And what I'd ask listeners of the show to do is to share with me people that you think meet these criteria, because if I can find those people, then I can improve my life a lot. So that's it for today. If you have any questions, comments, love mail, or hate mail, you can email me at alex at alexepstein.com, or better yet, join the discussion on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash humanflourishingproject. If you want to get a weekly email notifying you about new episodes of the show, go to humanflourishingproject.com. 
next week, we'll be back. It may be actually with the psychologist that I've been teasing for months, but I know better than to promise that. Uh, but there is, I do have a scheduled meeting, but in any case, we will have a show. Until then, I hope you have a great weekend. I'm Alex Epstein, and this has been the Human Flourishing Project. <laughs>